0: All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
2: Hi, are you ready to order? I think we need a couple more minutes.
1: Can I bring you something to drink while you decide?
3: Uh, sure, I'll have a uh, Coke.
1: Oh, we don't have Coke.
3: Uh, Pepsi, then?
2: Sorry, uh, all we have is RC.
3: I see. Uh, I'll have to think about it.
2: I- I'll just have coffee. Oh, we don't serve coffee here. The what then? Sanka? Chicory? I- uh, we offer dandelion bouillon. <laughs> uh, just water, then, if you carry that. Sure, well, it's lemon-infused steam. I'll be right back. Well, that was just bizarre.
3: Totally bizarre. R.C.? What kind of place is this?
2: Did you notice the music on the jukebox? It's all cover bands and tribute acts like Justin Limberlake and Arcade Four.
3: Who the hell are the Arcade Four? Exactly. Let's just go.
2: But I'm hungry. It's not
3: worth it. I don't trust this place. Every item is an alternative to another item. What happened to the real stuff? What did they do with it?
2: Here she comes.
1: Here's your steam Uh, so what can I bring you to eat today? Um, how
2: about just an order of fries? Okra tots, okay? Okra tots, for real? Tots will be fine Alrighty, anything to go with those? Uh, No, just
1: salt and ketchup Ooh, Mrs. Dash and tomatillo chutney okay?
3: No No, it's not okay you know, there's such a thing as two alternatives. Honey, it's... No, no, you're completely disconnected from the real world, lady.
2: Okay, settle down, honey. Just honor diversity.
3: No, this isn't diversity. It's, it's divergent. You should be able to walk into an American cafe and find Coke, coffee, french fries, and ketchup. These are the things our culture is built upon. You know, there, there should be an ordinance or something.
2: Okay, calm down, Grandpa Cranky. Sorry, miss, but you have to admit, all of this is a bit beyond the norm. I really wouldn't know.
3: How can you be this averse to popular culture? I mean, don't you read magazines or watch TV?
2: Yeah, I mean, what is your connection to the outside world? Well, it's not magazines. Or TV.
1: It's mostly radio. Public radio. It's, it's... (laughs)
3: Portland, Maine. It's LiveWire, and now it's the host of LiveWire, the alternative to some other host, Courtney Hameister.
1: Welcome to the show, everybody. We have a great show for you tonight. We have someone here to talk about the rise in the popularity of gourmet salts. I don't know if you guys have noticed. We have the author of Salted, a manifesto on the world's most essential mineral. Mark Bitterman is with us tonight. We also, we have a writer that the New York Times Janet Maslin just called one in a million. The author of Swamplandia, Karen Russell, is here tonight. And our guest tonight, our musical guest is a band out of Seattle on the brink of the release of their third record, No Witch. The Cave Singers are here. Before we get to all that fabulous, fabulousness, please meet this fabulousness the Faces for Radio Theater, Mr. Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, the beautiful Trisha Ferguson, the also beautiful Siren of Sound, Pat Janowski. And as usual, poet Scott Poole is here. He's the author of Hiding from Salesmen. And Scott will take just one single hour, the amount of time that many poets use to drink whiskey and lament the state of the publishing industry. He's going to use that time to write a poem that encompasses all we've learned tonight. Welcome, Scott, and get writing. We can't do it without the princes of facial hair. Ralph Huntley and the mutton chops. Thanks, Rao. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Mark Bitterman is going to be joining us later, and he's going to talk about gourmet salt and things like cooking and serving our food on a pink Himalayan salt block that's 500,000 years old. And here's the thing. Uh, I'm sure Mark is a lovely person. I've just met him and in fact he is. He's he's lovely, he's cute even. But I just hope he realizes that it's people like him that make the rest of us look like horrible people. Because the question I'm gonna have for him is, what effect would it have to say cook a pepperoni Totino's pizza on a Himalayan salt block? Because that's the only thing I currently have in my refrigerator. His book is gorgeous. It's filled with recipes like rib steak in salt crust, blanched spring peas with saffron creme fraiche and cypress flake salt, and fried eggs with foraged mushrooms and black truffle salt. Foraged mushrooms? Foraged, Mark? And I can see him. I've seen his picture, and I can picture him foraging. I can, I can see him because he's healthy and he's fresh-faced, and he's filled with that enthusiasm that world changers tend to have, you know, that enthusiasm that makes you think, whose lifeblood are you sucking, and where can I get some? Because I periodically forage. I'm a forager, but it's generally like for the last few mini corn dogs at the bottom of the basket. Or a pen in my glove compartment amidst a sea of ketchup packets. Or, I don't know if you've ever done this, but a pair of underwear that has magically become clean while sitting at the bottom of the laundry pile. <laughs> oh, don't even tell me that you've never done that. So, Anyway, this could be part of my problem. Not the underwear, but the, but the mini corndog foraging. I mean, that might be what's leading me to not having the energy for mushroom foraging. So, Mark, it's, it's not your fault. It's not your fault that people like me buy your book for, for the person they hope they'll be someday, not the person they currently are. And we should thank you for selling that hope so we can look at the pretty pictures of the food we'll make when we're actualized, which will be probably never... But at least we have something to aspire to. We have a life to aspire to where, where we don't have to ask you whether the lavender fish finishing salt tastes best on oriental or beef flavored top ramen. <laughs> where we can forage with you and not not for clean underwear, but for fresh, delicious, actualized mushrooms. So thanks, Mark, and we'll talk to you later in the show. But before we get to that, uh, our first guest tonight is a trio that's only been around since 2007, but they've made a really big impact on the storied Seattle music scene. They signed with Matador Records right off the bat, and they produced two records of the most hypnotizing folk music ever produced by a bunch of guys who never really listened to folk music. And they're about to release their third record, No Witch. Please welcome the Cave Singers to Live Wire.
4: Everyone's a long while, tin nut and tin cup in the same streets. Kind that pisses wrong, the stairs to go, and a globe in a hand now. When the cheating made in hot house, And when me near night by fixing your car. And I could find a better way to issue a great power Maybe a nice restaurant. Wash your dishes, man. Yes, yeah, this life you set out for yourself in the younger days. Well, I might as well stand at attention has a mission above our lake. Well, call me up with the truth. Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Maybe the keys that you got are for a broken lock in the moon. That would be true. But send me away in the evening sun. But too much is falling in the things we've done. Send me sun on the boat of my branches in the woods that I home. I was in a state of my mind she found a purse by the building side but to tell the truth Every swoon, every bird, every cliff It's out of focus But well, come on, see I lost my hand in the way And now i am never given up on outer space To weaken the blow I move my camp door But fools before tombs Yeah, behind those stones I found my place They sent me away in the evening sun But too much is falling in the things we've done Send me away in that evening, sir On the boat of my branches with you at home
1: <laughs> Cave Singers, thanks for joining us. That was you. Is that a melodica? That you're it playing?
4: is. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about that instrument? It's sure. Uh, it's like Should a, I hold it while I talk? Sure.
4: About
1: it? Okay. <laughs> for our radio audience.
4: <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's made out of plastic.
1: <laughs> well, for, it's, it's, it's a little keyboard, and it you is. actually blow into
4: it in order to... Yeah, you blow in it uh, into this hole right here. Usually it has an uh, external mouthpiece that I lost. <laughs> uh, Musicians I are think just flaky. It, I lost it somewhere between Austin and San Diego.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Um, so I understand you guys actually live right next door to the Long Winter Studio in Seattle. We
4: do, yeah.
1: Um, and I have a message from John Roderick. He would like for me to ask you when you're planning to take down your f***ing Christmas lights. <laughs>
5: Oh, man, I'm blushing.
4: (laughs) We're not taking them down. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to put more Christmas lights (laughs) up, man.
1: (laughs) Actually, he did not say that. He said, tell them I said hi. They're really great guys. Okay,
4: but you got to read between the lines.
1: Exactly. (laughs) They're really great guys, but why do they never mow their lawn?
4: (laughs) We mow it once a year. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Usually in the winter. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right.
1: Yeah, so and that's kind of how it works in Seattle, right? I mean, bands really support each other.
4: And... Yeah, we mow each other's salons.
1: <laughs> well, I gotta tell you, it has been a pleasure chatting with you, and you I've too. learned a lot about music. All right, I've learned a lot cool. and melodicas. Me too, Pete. Thanks. All thanks right. for joining us. They'll be back to sing another song. That was The Cave Singers. The record is No Witch on Jag Jaguar Records. And you're listening to Live Wire Radio with music, conversation, and comedy. We're like a great date, but just the first or the second one, not the one that ends in the bedroom. We'll leave that to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. That show is skanky. Coming up, author and salt expert Mark Bitterman, author Karen Russell, and poet Scott Poole will be right back.
5: Anniversary.
2: Yeah, anniversary. Did you forget?
5: What? What? Of course not. I am. Uh, I am going to get your present uh, right now. Uh, okay. It's. Uh, I, I left it. I left it. Uh, I left it. I left it in the in the uh, in the kitchen. Yes. All right. Okay. 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 Now close your eyes and put out your hands.
2: Oh. I love surprises. What is it? A necklace? (gasps) Pearls? Ooh, diamonds?
5: I'm going to pour it in your hand from my hands. Ready? Happy anniversary. Uh, My
2: present is something you're pouring in my hand?
5: Yep. Now open your eyes.
2: Okay, this is salt.
5: That's your present. Yeah. Uh, Eight. Eight is the salt anniversary. (laughs) Eight yes.
2: years of marriage and dedication and you give me a handful of friggin' salt, <laughs> I am going to kill you. What this put you back, like three
5: cents? Oh, now, now, just wait a minute, honey. That's no ordinary salt. That's that's Himalayan glacial azure.
2: So what? It's salt.
5: Uh, don't drop it. This salt was delivered by a Quaker mystic. He crossed the Pacific uh, in, in, in a leaky rowboat, yeah. And, and he was chased the whole time by... Bangladeshi ninjas.
2: Oh, I'll give you a leaky robot. Just
5: wait one second. Don't you realize that salt is the world's most essential element? It's mentioned in the Bible, Last Supper. You think they had cumin on the table? No way. It was salt.
2: Who cares?
5: I care, because salt salt flows through our very blood. Okay, it's it's uh, our connection to the sea, the place from which all life emerged. You know, I'd like to think that we each have our own flavor of salt. If we could extract the salt from our blood, we would find that my salt tastes differently from your salt. And when you walk into the room, my pulse quickens, and as the blood passes through my ventricles, my atria, the salt in my blood rubs along the lining of my heart and picks up the very muscular essence and longing of my love for you. When we kiss, it is this salt that exchanges on the edges of our lips. It is that mix of our two salts that runs from my eyes now as I think of losing myself in the beautiful salty sea that is your eyes, your lips, our love.
2: Oh, oh my God. I love you. You're right, a salt. Love. Mm-hmm. This is way better than last year's pot holder. Yeah, I yeah. do love salt, Sam. Uh-huh. I would have salt on a ham. Mm. I, I would have your salt with Pam. Uh, who's Pam? Oh, it, no one. I'm just so excited. Oh, good. I'm going to go find something to put this in.
5: Okay, yeah, honey. You know, I th- I think I noticed the salt shaker was empty in there, so Oh, I rule. I, I forgot my anniversary and I still pulled it off. Ooh, and I wonder what she got me here. What the? Honey, uh, did you just wrap up your half used deodorant?
2: Yes, um, my love, I-, I wanted my essence to join with your essence in a sweat filled dance. Okay, of- I'm not buying it. Oh, yeah, well, it was worth a shot. <laughs>
1: Here's the thing about salt. It gets a bad rap sometimes, but the truth is we actually need salt to live. It helps our cells absorb nutrients and our bodies to maintain the right fluid levels. Uh, Wars have been fought over salt, and at different times in history, it's been worth more than gold. That may not be true now, but the past few years have seen a big growth in the gourmet salt market, and if you read Salted, a manifesto on the world's most essential minerals with recipes, you'll get them all. Black truffle, Bolivian rose, Maine mesquite, Icelandic hot spring salt, and over a hundred more. Here to talk about his relationship to salt and the steak that changed his life is author and salmelier, Mark Bitterman. (laughs) The show, Mark.
6: Well, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, the the book is, as I said, it's beautiful, salted, a manifesto on the world's most essential mineral with recipes is the name of the book. Um, so it's big. <laughs> I did read that you had a, that you once ate a life changing steak. Can you talk about that experience?
6: I actually ate that life changing steak many times in my life. Yeah. I kind of do it whenever I get a chance.
1: Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the first time? Perpetual
6: reinvention. Uh, yeah, I was, I was uh, motorcycling through France for several years, maybe more years than I would care to admit, and uh, I was stopping by a truck stop one day looking for a bite to eat, and I went to the truck stop, and I ordered a steak, and I sat down at the table, or I ordered the steak after I sat down at the table, and I started eating it, and um, I realized the steak was like totally unfreaking believable. And I was just kind of going, my God, the steak is like, I've never eaten anything like this in my entire life. And I kind of look up to the waiter, and I'm like, um, this is really good steak. And he's like, yep. He
1: was not impressed.
6: Yeah. It, it was in French. It was like super unimpressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unimpressed with a little mustache. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and he, I'm like, no, no, this is a really amazing steak. You, what are you doing? He's like, well it's a steak from a cow. <laughs> I'm like, well, what did you do to make this steak so good? And he's like, well, it's a steak that has been grilled. <laughs> um, and he basically returned to the kitchen. A few minutes later, comes back. I'm like, no, this is a life-changing steak. What have you done? There's something really amazing about this. I said, well, it's a steak that's been grilled, and it has some salt on it. I'm like, uh, looking at the steak. I'm like, my God, there's this um, coarse, moist kind of crystal that's glistening in these little wells of steak juice along these sliced pieces of rare flesh. And I'm just going, oh, this is a little different than I thought. Yeah. Upon closer examination, I took a bite again, and I realized there's this beautiful, deep, minerally flavor that's penetrating through and bringing all the fatty richness of the steak out. And it turns out that this was a salt that was made by the restaurant owner's family uh, in Gironde on the west coast of France. And so I just got on my bike, and I raced out and met them, and... For the next 25 years, I've been hunting salt.
1: <laughs> How does one make a salt?
6: There's a lot of ways to make a salt. Um, salts can be made, uh, a, the, the way that most of us get our salt is through a very beautiful process called sequence vacuum evaporators, where we take uh, water and pump it into a, uh, a, a salt deposit that's underground, and they bring out that salt deposit, that brine that results, and they add a bunch of chemicals to precipitate out any impurities that they want. Then they pass that water, that sort of purified brine, through a series of evaporators, and then they spray it out or, uh, or boil it out and end up with these crystals, and that's how you get table salt and kosher salt, and it's, it's just kind of a refined chemical. That's the way that most salt's are made. Then the way that other salts are made are by taking seawater in from the ocean and letting it... Uh, evaporate in open ponds under the sun until a little rippling breeze catches the the the, the 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 water at the right moment, and the crystals kind of spontaneously blossom on the surface of the pond. And you've got this very delicate sea salt.
1: You have to collect those. You then, have to collect those, those,
6: those by hand. Yeah.
1: Wow. So for, for those of us who don't uh, know a lot about salt, um, and it's your job to, to recommend salt to people, is, can you give us a little primer about maybe where we should start or what the differences are in the kinds of salts that you're talking about from you know, the regular table salt that we use?
6: Yeah, we're actually kind of totally lost. Our entire culinary tradition evolved after salt was industrialized, but for 12,000 years before that, salt was this funky, weird product that you'd find in different parts of the world, and every salt was unique. And so we're just kind of taking a step back and saying, let's just go back and find a salt that has some natural, some integrity. And, and really, there's only th- only three that everybody needs, um, not one. Uh, we have a, a coarse salt, like you w- might see here, which if you hold out your hand, it's just... Big.
1: And those are like a couple millimeters square, I yeah. guess.
6: These are, yeah, exactly. They're kind of a, maybe half a centimeter or so uh, at, the, at the very thickest, but you can they crunch up really softly uh, and really easily, so it's got this gorgeous kind of pliant quality. So you put this on top of it. This, this is the infamous steak salt. Uh, you put this on top of a steak, and it's already saturated with moisture, so it'll just kind of hang out and just well up in this little bead of moisture uh, from your steak, and then when you bite, you get this beautiful, minerally crunch. And then you get steak, and then you get salt, and steak and salt, and every bite you take, you have salt inflecting a little bit differently on the flavors of your steak. Salgris really is what Sel that's gris. called.
1: Yeah. And it's a finishing salt. It's
6: a finishing salt. It's also a good cooking salt. So this is the reason I, I mentioned this one first. This is all now yours.
1: Excellent. Um, My anniversary present.
6: Yes. <laughs> it is gem-like, though.
1: It is. It's beautiful. Uh, but that's a great salt White. to throw in
6: your, in your pasta water, uh, mm-hmm. inside the cavity of a chicken. It's a good all-around cooking salt, and it's a good finishing salt.
1: Great. Okay.
6: And the other two salts that are really just necessary is something flaky. You put that on top of a green salad, and this is just kind of parchment-frying crystals, very different looking than your...
1: It is, yeah, it looks almost like snow. Yeah. Yeah, just little flakes of, of salt.
6: Snowy stuff. This fa- is fantastic on, say, a green salad. You sprinkle this on top of your salad after you've dressed it, and you make your own salad dressing. I know you can't forage for your, your stuff at the bottom <laughs> of your supermarket and uh, at, at the bottom of your refrigerator. And you sprinkle this on top of your salad, and you get this little pop of salt. And so it just kind of sparks, and it, and it stimulates your palate and gets you excited and then disappears and yeah. kind of leaves you alone with your vegetables.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> Which happens all too often to me.
4: <laughs> well, <laughs> and
1: you've also got some really interesting other like you've got one salt that looks like it's just uh they, they look like marbles really it's white yeah. and and smooth what is this salt
6: this is an extremely bizarre. Uh, salt that I got to name myself because it didn't exist before. Um, that's what the fun thing about being... My, I gave myself the title Uh mm-hmm. sort of like to salt with, "Sommelier" is to wine. But it's fun when you have a sort of a self-invented whole field of study because no one can stop you. There's like no rounding Right, rules. you can call yourself
1: whatever you want. I'm a super salt guy. Uh,
6: super salt guy. And uh, I, this is a salt that uh, came uh, to us just recently uh, from Djibouti, which is a small uh, country on the east side of Africa. Mm-hmm. They have a, a super saline lake called Lake Assal, and this crazy salt comes out of it, which defies all scientific explanation. Salt forms in cubes as a rule. It's a cubic crystal. This stuff is formed into marbles because it forms in a microcrystal and then rolls around in the bottom of the lake bed for a mm-hmm. long time and snowballs into this big... Kind of
1: yeah, it looks sphere. like a marble-sized piece of hail or something. We call this one Djibouti so Cutie. So what's distinctive about the taste of this? <laughs> the Djibouti Cutie. Um, what's generally the difference in the flavor for you?
6: So minerals are, are what we would call the flavor of a salt. Salts have anywhere from, uh, say, a natural salt has anywhere from, say, 3% to 25 or even 30% trace minerals in them. In those minerals, you can taste. It's going to be kind of subtle. I mean... I I don't like to dwell too much on that. The really, really vibrant differences are on the crystal structures like we just looked at. So crystals and moisture have this enormous influence on how the salt will play on the surface of the food, how it will interact with your mouth, so that you can kind of of dial like how do you want, do you want a a peppy, feisty salt or do you want Mm -hmm. something that's kind of, you know, suave and debonair or do you want something that's... (laughs) Yeah, you, know, you get to pick. It's just a, it's like a creative part of cooking.
1: And your store is The Meadow, and you, yeah. you have one here in Portland, and you also have one in New York on yeah. Hudson Street. We just opened just up in opened, New York. just opened, right? So I wanted to talk, because I, I spoke about this at the beginning of the show, this is one of those Himalayan salt blocks that yeah. we talked about. It's a gift for you. Really? Yeah. It's your, <laughs> and it's your heaviest gift. Be- I'm the best gift. stuff tonight. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm going to guess maybe about 10, 10 inches tall. It's sort of the size of a really nice-sized dictionary. It and is. it's really heavy, and it looks like rose quartz, maybe. So if I were to cook something on this, um, what sort of effect would it have on the, on the food?
6: you got three kind of basic ideas for this, or four. You could freeze this thing, thing put the whole block in, this, in the freezer, and you could then serve sorbets and stuff like that on there, and it will actually keep it chilled. Uh, you can even uh, drizzle chilled juices on it and left it with a spatula and make a little sorbet kind of mm-hmm. on the spot, but it's salty. Um, and then you can just, at room temperature, you can serve some sashimi on there. will salt cure the fish or, or some carpaccio right on the salt block. Or you can heat the baby up to about 500 degrees and just put it right on the stovetop, heat it up to 500 degrees, and then you can sauté scallops, flank steak, eggs. It makes it a mean duck breast. <laughs>
5: yeah.
1: We're going to break now and go next door. Mark's going to cook for us. Well, the, the book is beautiful. The recipes are gorgeous. And you go into the history of salt in our culture, in the culture of the world. Um, it's really fascinating to kind of learn the history of salt and how it's connected to our bodies. And, and, uh, and definitely, and there's a lot of beautiful recipes in it, too. So I highly recommend Salted, a manifesto on the world's most essential mineral with recipes. Mark Bitterman, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks
4: for having me. <laughs> thanks for having
3: That was Mark Bitterman, author of Salted, and you're listening to Livewire, brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, whose Whole Planet Foundation creates economic partnerships and gives microcredit loans to developing world communities that supply their stores. The Whole Planet Foundation, giving microcredit where microcredit is due. More information can be found at WholePlanetFoundation.org.
2: Terrence, I'm so glad you could join us for dinner. This has been so much fun. You know,
5: it's all so delicious. Maddie, you are quite the chef.
2: I do what I can. You
3: sure do, honey. Wow.
2: Well, you know me. I'm just a cooking fool. Where's my fool hat with the little bells and things that I should wear when I cook? You know, because of the fool thing.
3: (laughs) Isn't she adorable? Yeah, Yeah, she is.
2: You guys stop. And honey, did you want more potatoes?
3: Uh, Oh, no. I've had more than enough. Uh, do you want more beets?
5: Oh,
2: no, I'm full. Ak.
3: Well, you know, I'll have some more beets, actually.
2: Oh, great. Well, I'm going to go grab more Zinfandel. I'll be right back.
3: Oh, man, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to see that. See what? Oh, that exchange between us. So completely inappropriate to air our dirty laundry like that. I, I feel terrible. Uh, I, You know, I'm not sure what you're referring to there. Oh, come on, man. When she was all, honey, do you want more potatoes? You didn't hear that? Yeah, yeah, I heard that. Potatoes? Potato famine? Ireland? Right, that happened. (sighs) How are you not seeing this? She was clearly referencing James Joyce, who she knows was my favorite writer, and how Joyce had to leave boarding school before finishing, just like I didn't finish college. She's calling me a quitter, right to my face. Uh, you know, I, God, I
5: don't see how, I mean, that seems like a
3: stretch oh, to be. Oh, please. She's an expert at this. That whole fool thing, she was obviously referencing the fool in the tarot deck, also known as the beggar or vagabond. And vagabonds carry bindles. Bindle rhymes with kindle, which is what she wanted for Christmas, but I didn't get her. And that was her way of telling me I'm going I'm to have to beg for sex tonight.
5: Uh, I don't know. I think you're. Kind of being paranoid about oh, this. Oh,
3: please! You don't know her, honey. While you're in there, can you bring in the jello?
2: What did you just say to me?
3: Oh, I was just hoping you could bring the jello with you when you brought the um...
2: jello. Jello! How dare
5: you?
3: Whoa! What? What's the problem? <gasps>
2: That was clearly a dig. Clearly.
3: Calm
5: down. You know, I think he was actually just wanting some...
2: Everyone knows that Jell-O is made of gelatin, which is made of horse hooves. And some of those horses just happen to be Iberian horses from Spain, from which the Mustang is descended.
5: Okay. I, I feel like I've learned something tonight. I uh,
2: make out with Eduardo in his Mustang at work one Time and you never let it go. It's like I'll always be a cheater to you.
4: Hey, if the horseshoe fits. Oh,
2: and that whole beat thing. I told you never to talk about herbaceous biennials because of the chard incident, and there you went.
5: I think I'm gonna go. You know, I I really I should clean out my garage, so I, I better be going. Clean out your garage.
3: Clean out your garage. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Nothing. I, it's just that I have a bunch of gardening tools from last year. I, and I can't really... believe you would mention automobile storage facilities in this house. After what I told you about my grandmother's affair with Henry Ford. And
2: gardening tools, really? What, like rakes, tillers, hoes? You think I didn't catch that?
5: Okay, I'm not. I'm just not yeah. gonna say one more word.
3: Okay. Uh, good riddance, you two. Oh, you would say good riddance. <laughs> yeah. Man, that guy is a piece of work.
2: I know, right?
3: <gasps> what do you mean by that? So you're listening to LiveWire, the radio variety show for people whose attention spans the length of a football field at a flea circus. If you live in the Portland area, come to our next show on March 18th with best-selling author Andres Debuse the Third. Bill Roush, the artistic director for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, filmmaker Matt McCormick and others. To download our podcast anytime you want, search for Livewire Radio on iTunes or visit our website at livewireradio.org.
1: If you want to get to know our next guest, there's a lot of math to do. She's been on New York Magazine's list of 27 impressive New Yorkers under 26, the New Yorker's list of 20 writers under 40, and she received a 5 under 35 award from the National Book Foundation. That adds up to 153, (laughs) which is a good number for her. Her first novel, Swamplandia, is centers is centered around the life of Ava Bigtree, the 13-year-old daughter of an alligator wrestling family in Florida. It's been called a marvel rendered with commanding expertise by the New York Times. Please welcome author Karen Russell to Livewire.
7: Thanks for telling everyone I'm a vampire of some kind. <laughs>
1: 153. Well, it's just—it's your number.
7: It's your special. It's your special, My lotto special number. Exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah you <laughs> should play that number. So, welcome to the show, Karen. Um, it's great to have you. And this book uh, has been getting quite a bit of uh, press. Um, I mean, Janet Maslin to have I Janet know. Maslin call you one in a million. What did I that don't feel like? I want to slow
7: dance with her at the prom. That <laughs> felt so good, like incredible in the way that I'm like, maybe this is the Truman Show, and you know, it's just sort of surreal. Great. Yeah, it's somebody's really filming
1: fun. it, uh, yeah. and it's all it's one like big, big joke. On you, it.
7: right? Exactly. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's really
1: exciting. This novel is based on one of the short stories in your in your book of short stories that that was published. Um, the the story was called Ava Russell's the alligator. So, how did it work for you turning this short story into this novel?
7: It's tough to talk about because I always feel like those movies that, you know, went to like, oh, trouble on the set, you know, because it really was a difficult <laughs> process. Um, it really, it took a, a couple years and I just, short stories are such a um, miniature work, so it took a while to get the scale right, you know. Um, but um, but I, I love those characters, and I felt like I knew the setting really well because I am from South Florida. So. Mm-hmm. And you'd written the story a few years before, like around five years before. Yeah, these fools have been with me since I was 22. This this alligator family, it's uh, and it's kept... exciting that now uh, other people have to deal with them. Right, um,
1: <laughs> they kept sort of revisiting you. Yeah, family.
7: Yeah, I really I really uh became sort of obsessed with these weird alligator. My actual biological family is like, please use every opportunity to tell people that it's not memoir you know (laughs) my my kind sane family
1: right right Um, well I don't think that there's really a way for me to describe your writing to people so I was hoping that that you'd be able to read and and I feel like the really just the opening couple of pages is a really good illustration and it just opens people up to the story a little bit and so I'd love it if you could read a little bit for our audience
7: Uh, so this is just the the beginning of the end our mother performed in starlight. Whose innovation this was, I never discovered. Probably it was Chief Big Tree's idea, and it was a good one, to blank the follow spot and let a sharp moon cut across the sky, unchaperoned, to kill the microphone, to leave the stage light's tin eyelids scrolled and give the tourists in the stands a chance to enjoy the darkness of our island, to encourage the whole stadium to gulp air, along with Swamplandia's star performer, the world-famous alligator wrestler, Hilola Big Tree. Four times a week, our mother climbed the ladder above the gator pit in a green two-piece bathing suit and stood on the edge of the diving board, breathing. If it was windy, her long hair flew around her face, but the rest of her stayed motionless. Nights in the swamp were dark in Star Leopard. Our island was 30-odd miles off the grid of mainland lights. And although your naked eye could easily find the ball of Venus and the sapphire hair of the Pleiades, our mother's body was just lines, a smudge against the palm trees. Somewhere directly below Hylola Big Tree, dozens of alligators pushed their icicle overbites and the awesome diamonds of their heads through 300 gallons of filtered water. The deep end, the black cone where Mom dove, was 27 feet At its shallowest point, the water tapered to four inches of muck that lapped a coppery sand. A small spoil island rose out of the center of the pit, a quarter acre of dredged limestone. During the day, 30 gators at a time crawled into a living mountain on the rocks to sun themselves. The stadium that housed the gator pit seated 265 tourists. Eight-tiered rows ring the watery pen. A seat near the front put you at eye level with our monsters. My older sister Osceola and I watched our mother's show from the stands. When Ossie leaned forward, I leaned with her. At the entrance to the gator pit, our father, the chief, had nailed up a crateboard sign You watchers in the first four rows guaranteed to get wet. Just below this, our mother had added in her small, livid lettering Anybody could get hurt. The tourists moved sprawlingly from buttock to buttock in the stands, slapping at the ubiquitous mosquitoes, unsticking their khaki shorts and the printed department store skirts from their sweating thighs. They shushed and crushed against and cursed at one another. Couples curled their pale legs together like eels. Beer spilled and kids wept. At last, the chief queued up the music. Trumpets tooted from our big old fashioned speakers, and the huge, unseeing eye of the follow spot twisted through the palm fronds until it found Hi Lola. Just like that, she ceased to be our mother. Fame settled on her like a film. Hi Lola, big tree, ladies and gentlemen, my dad intoned into the microphone. Her shoulder blades pinched back like wings before she dove. The lake was planked with great gray and black bodies. Hilola Big Tree had to hit the water with perfect precision, making incremental adjustments midair to avoid the gators. The chief's follow spot cast a light like a rime of ice onto the murk, and Mom swam inside the circle across the entire length of the lake. People screamed and pointed whenever an alligator swam into the spotlight with her, a plump and switching tail cutting suddenly into its margarine wavelengths, and the spade of a monster's face jawing up at her side. Our mom swam blissfully on, brushing at the spotlight's perimeter as if she were testing the gate of a floating corral.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Then some stuff happens after that. Uh, you were just listening to Karen Russell on Live Wire Radio, uh, and the book is Swamplandia. So, this feels like a, a very strange family, sort of outsiders. You've talked in the past about um, you, you say that you were besotted by fairy tale worlds when you were a kid. Yeah.
7: What were those worlds like back then? Um, well, I think in large part because I was so terrible at sports, I was like a big reader of myth and fairy tale and, and sort of uh, cut my teeth on all of that. Um, Alice in Wonderland, you know, fabulous stuff. And then Florida itself is the most surreal place you can ever imagine growing up. Um, I, everyone also seems to have Florida memories that are hallucinatory, you know? Just, uh, we would go to... My dad was saying how we, we always wanted to go to Parrot Jungle when he was hungover, and that's actually the worst place to go. It if you like have a, a hangover. Right, a cacophony. Pretty <laughs> riotous. So there was, like, Monkey Jungle, Parrot Jungle, the Miami Sea Aquarium, but then also this actually beautiful natural geography. So you'd go to, the, you know, the Florida Keys and go snorkeling and just see you know, rainbows of real fish, and then you would go see some, like, junky fiberglass dolphin. And, you know, so yeah. sort of that contrast, it was all there. Sure. Yeah. yeah, both sides of it. And, of course, Orlando, right, where it's just any theme park that you, you know. Mm-hmm. The Bible has a theme park there. Every, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So. so you actually went back to Florida to research for this book. But you went back with your grandfather, your yeah. father, and your brother. Yeah. What was that experience like, trying to research the book with your family like
7: that? What a disaster. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of my grandfather yelling at the tour guides that they got it wrong. They'd be like, to your left, you'll see a gator's nest. He'd be like, that's not a damn nest. Those are sticks. And so then we're like, you know, we're like, oh, Papa's got to go to the, you know, we got to go. Or my dad, my dad made us sit through like four versions of this snake show because he was like, you want to make sure you get it right. But then I think that they thought that we were like wildlife inspectors. I I think they thought that like, you know, that some Mm -hmm. sort of animal rights group had sent us Uh because they were like, by the fourth show, they were like, you're still here.
1: (laughs) Why are you still here? With your notebooks. Mm Mm-hmm.
7: Uh, You did do a
1: lot of research on reptiles and alligators in Florida. And I'm wondering, just based on your research, if an alligator were to come in here right now... What would you do to
7: protect us? Oh, I would scream and run so fast, Courtney. <laughs> you know, <don't,
0: I> <laughs> you don't have I mean, it, you, you guys have are the on your own. I'm sorry. No,
7: I would. I actually. Well, it's tricky, right? Because like I love that answer about the salmon year that there are no. You know, you, you invent your own discipline. Mm-hmm. It turns out there are actual herpetologists. So I get so worried that I got some of this stuff wrong. You know, mm-hmm. sure. sure. The trick that I did learn is that if you can get an alligator's jaws closed, the musculature that opens uh, the jaws is surprisingly weak through some evolutionary. Fluid. So you can actually hold it shut with a rubber band, with like a girl's goody hair elastic, with like one hand,
2: That's if great. you want to show off. I mean, right, right. <laughs>
7: So what are you what are you tackling now? What are you working on right now? Uh, I'm working on a book set during the Dust Bowl drought that my sister calls Drylandia. She's like, <laughs> like she says it's like a romantic rebound, you know, <laughs> when like sure. you go from like a conservative banker to some like dude with an earring. She's like, right. She's like big, <laughs> big pendulum swing mm-hmm. to the Dust Bowl. <laughs> mm-hmm. -hmm. So So it's yeah, it sounds uplifting. Yeah, yeah, another right. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) another beach story, (laughs) (laughs)
1: light (laughs) summery. Well, this really is. It's so unique and so beautifully written. Uh, The book is Swamplandia. Karen Russell is the author. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having having me. now it's time for the Mm -hmm. audience haiku we have asked our audience to expound on three subjects in the form of haiku salt alligator wrestling and spelunking faces radio theater have chosen their favorites and will now read them with the help of ralph huntley Tonight's haiku is, as always, brought to you by the New Belgium Brewing Company. This month featuring the Mighty Arrow Pale Ale. The new Mighty Arrow Pale Ale, named for the brewery's beloved dog, Arrow. It'll make you want to sit and speak and rub that belly. And if you do it right, hair of
2: the dog needn't be an issue. And now, audience haiku! Okay, Ralph, um, can I get something that's... um uh, really scary, but then with a f- little flourish of disappointment at the end. <laughs> Choke holds don't work on these reptiles of fear and fang. What was I thinking? Thank you, Ashley.
5: Can I get some chick uh, chick ch- late 70s funk stuff? I like wrestling, but only with my boyfriend, because he is. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Tom. No. Lindsay, thank you. Lucky girl.
1: Live wire.
3: (laughs) And now, ladies and gentlemen, from the audience to read her very own haiku. Please welcome Allison.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Can I get some um, mood music, please?
1: (laughs) Like online dating, alligator wrestling,
3: eat or be eaten. Thank you, Allison.
1: Thanks, you guys. Those were fantastic audience haiku. You're listening to Live Wire Radio. With music, conversation, and laughs, it's like a great date, but without the initial awkwardness and constant internal dialogue about whether or not you're going to end up doing it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to LiveWire. And now once again, the cave singers.
4: Just a death, Lord. Back on the path. Lost a bit, but I'm catching up fast. Gonna be living on these in the lab. I've been just a death, Lord. It's true. And ran, right, ran, ran through you. Down's my accuser. Seasoned drug user.
1: Now, as promised, he's been working very hard for the last 56 minutes to help us digest all that's happened in the last hour. Please welcome back poet Scott Poole.
8: What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight that I want to be a tater tot chef. I want to be the, the world's most renowned tater tot chef. It's good to have goals. Right now, I'm renowned for burning the popcorn at work. It's just not the same. Being a famous tater tot chef seems like a fairly safe path to fame, not hard like a famous roasted red potato chef. I've got the costume figured out. I would wear a speedo made out of foil and don a really classy top hat that looks like a tater tot with a brim. <laughs> my secret will be, will be that I forged for my tater tots, but they won't be normal tater tots. They will be tater tots that have been in famous situations. I bet I would be a good forger. I'd drop a little cave singers on my iPod and bicycle down the street, look at me, do do <laughs> I'd just be foraging along on my bicycle, bicycling down to Justin Bieber's house. I bet he eats tater tots. I bet he has a tot-colored fridge. Just biking along past rock stars mowing each other's lawns in that beautiful evening sun. Wow, what a day. A time when no one could stop you, when you're just floating along to steal the tots that Justin Bieber's mom was trying to eat when he didn't win the Grammys. The tots salted with Justin Bieber's mom's tears. Can't you just imagine what that would taste like? That anguish, that pain, the wide-eyed surprise. Mmm, yummy. No one will be able to resist my tots, especially Esperanza Spalding. My tots will be cooked on nothing but giant blocks of marble pink Bieber fan tears. When you heat the block up to 500 degrees on the stove, it even lets out a barely audible scream. 505 degrees, it lets out a sob. By 510 degrees, it's completely blubbering. That's when I drop the tots on. Oh, the sizzle. But I forgot to mention the best part. I'm cooking the tots as I'm being attacked by an alligator. I keep at my house for just that purpose. He's in a little cage just off the kitchen, and I wait till the tots have just begun to turn from a Kenyan sunset to a Starbucks macchiato brown... Then I release the alligator. Leaps where my face, but luckily I have a scrunchie and I wrap it around its jaws and hold it over the tots. Its perfect crocodile tear sits like a kiss on top of the tot. Perfection. Fame. You're mine.
1: Scott Poole, everybody. That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for coming out.
3: Our thanks to our guests tonight, Mark Bitterman, Karen Russell, and the Cave Singers. The mutton shops are Ralph Huntley, Jim Brumberg, and Dave Jorgensen. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Fitch & Associates, and the Falcon Art Community. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Oregon Cultural Trust, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners such as You Fine People. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. LiveWire is created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tannenbaum. Our senior producer is Robin Tannenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The faces for Radio Theatre are writers Courtney Hommeister, Tyler Hughes, Sean McGrath, performer Tricia Ferguson, and Siren of Sound Pachinowski. Our guest writer this week is our very own house poet, Scott Poole. Our recording engineer is Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Jeffrey Hilton Simmons. Production and stage management by Drew Flint and Matt King. Guest wrangling by Virial Harbin. Theme by Courtney Mondrelli and Ralph Huntley. Craft services by Whole Foods Market. Graphic and web design by Danger Creative. Web development by Amalgam Ocean. Social media coordinator is Trent Finley. Our publicist is Cassell Communications. Our operations manager is Adrian Schaefer. Our development specialist is Bree Gregg. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at livewireradio.org. This is Tyler Hughes saying so long, farewell, I'll saying good night. Just like I said it in the sound of music when I was a little girl.